This is the I Read Comic Books Podcast. I am your host, Mike Rappin. With me this week, two amazing people, Paul Jaisley. Hello. And Tia Vasilio. Hello. Thank you both for joining me. Welcome to 2017. We had two minisodes for the last two weeks, and now we're back. This is our first real episode of 2017. I'm so excited. We're so close to episode 100. We've got so much coming this year. I'm like pulling my hair out with excitement because I want to tell everyone about this, but you'll have to wait till episode 100. That being said, how have you both been, and how have comic books been? Tia. Uh, comics have been good, and so far, nothing terribly catastrophic has happened in 2017, so, you know, I think... Yeah, we're a week in, so yeah. we've made it so far. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, the Unstoppable Wasp number one came out. I know a lot of people are really excited for this book, and I don't necessarily think it's for me. It's, it's like relentlessly cheerful and that just really isn't my thing however i do think that um in it's addressing some really interesting structural issues about how uh women are evaluated and identified as exceptional in the marvel universe it's like kind of meta in a great way so even though i cannot deal with nadia and how happy she is um <laughs> like just stop just like turn her down a few notches uh i really love the the um the issue that this book is tackling and plus mockingbird makes an appearance and that's always fun oh yeah yeah um the in, in the unworthy thor number three my mm-hmm. precious baby Thory Death Ripper, best of all dogs, <laughs> makes an appearance. Yes. I love his his very good dog. So um, that was fun, and also Beta Ray Bill, and also like ten million hammers, and so all the hammers, all the hammers, and of course Wickdiv number twenty five came out. Everyone is so super hot, and they just keep getting hotter. And I don't, I don't know how. Like I don't know how. I saw your notes in this, and I was just like. Oh, Lord, I haven't read this issue yet, so I'm like, oh, this is going to be a good one. Like, even Cassandra, who I feel like hot is not how that character is really portrayed, um, you know, because she's just very, like, above that nonsense in a way. But there were some panels where she, I was just like, shit, Cassandra is so beautiful. Like, good job, Jamie. Mm-hmm. So, McKelvey hitting it out of the park as usual. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the main one I want to talk about, because this is a new title for me, is Shade the Changing Girl. Number four came out this week, and um, I actually read all of, you know, one through four so that I could read it, because I've been really intrigued by the covers, and I'm normally not really that interested in DC books. There's just, there's a house aesthetic over there that I just don't connect with usually but these young animal titles have been um kind of taking a different aesthetic and i um like i've i sort of paged through mother panic and i thought it was really really pretty and you know for me i have to really connect with art in order to want to stick with a book and totally yeah Mm -hmm. so this is written by uh, cecile castellucci and um art by marley zarcone um, or Zarcone, maybe. I'm not sure how you pronounce that. In any case, excellent, excellent art by Marley. And uh, for those of you like me who maybe don't really know much about this character, um, originally it was uh, Shade the Changing Man. And um, he was retconned, I think, in the 90s. And so this is continuing with the the retconned continuity uh rock shade was the changing man and he had this madness coat it's really it's like this reality sort of warping coat it's okay it's hard to describe and so in in shade the changing girl it's in a museum on this planet meta where rock shade was from and oh, man. yeah so <laughs> this is awesome so this is so cool it okay. is yeah so this girl loma who is like a bird um she convinces her boyfriend who is a security guard at the museum to let her try on the coat and because she like just she's really kind of at a nowhere place in her life and she feels really listless and really bored. So she decides that she's going to use this coat to like uh, escape 
and to earth. And she inhabits the body of this earth girl named Megan, who is in a coma and about to have the plug pulled on her. So she's about to die. She's a teenage girl. And um, because so meta our Aloma wants to, you know, feel all the earth feelings, which, you know, I, I like where this is going. Right. Yeah, yeah. So um, she quickly discovers that earth feelings are very complicated. <laughs> <laughs> And it turns out that Megan is kind of an asshole and everyone hates her. And um, yeah, so so uh, Loma is trying to deal with like figuring out all of these feelings um, that are kind of echoes from Megan's life. And then at the same time, there's this problem of the madness coat is really difficult to control. And also... Um, Rock Shade's ex, who uh, is kind of pissed off at him back on Meta, like really needs it back, like really wants it back. So there's uh, the story going on on Meta where they're trying to like get the coat back. And also the problem is that your original body like kind of decays and dies if you are out of it for too long. And so Loma's boyfriend's like kind of concerned about that. And then, Oh man, yeah. this book is all over the place. With my feelings and thoughts. It did. I have so many questions. Yeah, I know. And so, um, but the thing that I love the most about this is so like whenever, whenever shade, she asked people to call her shade, whenever shade is in a, in a scene, the madness is like warping everything around her and um, what I love so much about this book and what's going to probably keep me reading it is that uh, if you just read the dialogue, there it's not it's not giving you enough to really understand what's happening in the story. Uh, you really have to look very closely at the artwork and kind of synthesize them both at the same time to really get the full extent of the tone of the scene and the and what's happening in the story but then the artwork is also really challenging too because it's just like super trippy and groovy and weird and um I just I have so much respect for an artist who can work with that concept I'm just trying to imagine what the script must be like for these panels you know you have oh, yeah. you have mm -hmm. to have such an incredible amount of discipline as an artist to do something that free and that sort of you know mind blowing and it's just done really well in this book. I really love it. Man, these young animal books, I think, are really kicking a lot of butt in that, in that aspect. Definitely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I was just going to say, that's the one title of theirs I haven't checked out yet. I'm reading the other three young animal titles. And this one, for some reason, I never picked up the first issue, but now I have to go back and get them. So everything they're doing <laughs> is awesome. I read one through four yeah. just straight through, and it was really great. And so, like, where it left them, basically, you know, they're they're on Meta. They're like kind of closing in on Loma and what she's done. And then on Earth, Shade, Loma, Megan, you know, uh, she is trying to kind of make amends for what Megan did to people. Um, hmm. she was like the captain of the synchronized swim team and was like just a jerk to everyone on the team. And then they like basically let her drown and they were like, fuck her, you know? <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. Um, and, and then there's this new guy who moved in next door who, you know, she kind of is drawn to because she doesn't have all of these, um, residual feelings associated with him in Megan's body that she needs to deal with. And, um, he's kind of helping her like navigate and he's, and he knows she's an alien. It's really, it's really good. Okay. Wow. Wow. That, yeah. Okay. See, this is like, <laughs> every time you're on this show, T, I swear I get a new book that I'm like, oh, I can just buy all four <laughs> issues of that. <sighs> oh, well. It's only four books. You could do <laughs> that's, it. That's, that's mm -hmm. fine. Paul, what have you been reading? Well, uh, you know, speaking of young animal titles, we'll just stick with that because there's a couple I read this week that I really, really enjoyed. Um, Mother Panic, number two, by Jody Hauser and Tommy Lee Edwards. Mm -hmm. Tommy Lee Edwards is someone whose art I absolutely love, but is very rarely on a book I want to read. So I'm glad it finally lined up and I'm enjoying Mother <laughs> Panic so much because his yeah. artwork is so good. And I like that, uh, you know, Mother Panic is sort of a weird twist on the Batman story where it's in Gotham. It's a... Um, it's like a teenage celebrity who at night is a vigilante. Um, so it's like hitting all my buttons perfectly, right? But um, mm -hmm. 
something about Timely Edwards's artwork, he's able to do the way he draws Gotham City is like that neon drenched Blade Runner, you know, future noir look to it. It looks awesome. And then yeah. there's other scenes that are like this weird, creepy, sort of ominous vibe to him. And he does both really well. And it actually reminds me of the old DC, the the very early Vertigo titles, where it was in continuity characters done in a very different sort of, you know, mature reader way. And that's what this book really reminds me of. And as I was reading it, I'm like, okay, you know, Timely Edwards' art reminds me of Richard Case, uh, who did Doom Patrol with Grant Morrison, which is one of those ver- very early pre-Vertigo titles. And the lettering, I was like, the lettering of this book really looks like Doom Patrol. I bet it's John Workman. And I double-checked, and sure enough, it's John Workman does Mother Panic. <laughs> John Workman penciled, uh, so did the letters on Doom Patrol. So he's like the one person whose letters I recognize instantly, which it, it seems like a minor detail, but it does give the book that sort of feel of an old Vertigo book, so... There you yeah, go. That's fantastic. Yeah. I got uh, serious Francovia vibes from the art too, with the like pops of yeah. orange. I could see that lots of heavy, dark, heavy inks and then um the bright colors and stuff, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um the other mother I'm sorry, the other young animal book I'm reading uh, and really, really enjoying is Cave Carson has a cybernetic eye. Uh, issue three <laughs> recently came out. Uh, the main story is very fun. It's it's I can't even begin to explain it. it involves secret subterranean societies and, you know, legacies and uh, government spying. It's, it's, it's all over the map. But the great thing about these issues is that the last three pages are Tom Scioli doing his superpowers stuff, which is Tom Scioli doing a sort of Kirby-esque take on the DC superheroes. In issue number three, there's a one-page backup where Tom Scioli does the origin of the Green, green Arrow, and I laughed out loud at every single panel. And, and uh, basically, in, in this t- telling of the story, uh, Oliver Queen finds himself on a sentient island and smokes some of the local f- uh, flora, and he hallucinates oh, and good. sees an interdimensional being that tells him to use arrows to fight crime, and he names himself <laughs> the Green Arrow. It's wonderful. Um, oh, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I'm sure at some point they're going to collect all the Tom Silly backup stuff. So, if, even if you're not reading this book, look out for that, because it, it is wonderfully wild maybe even crazier than the transformers versus gi joe stuff that i love so much oh that's great <laughs> um so on a very different note uh, i read hulk number one the new jennifer walters she hulk book by uh uh mariko tamaki and art by uh nico lo i'm sorry art by nico leon why is she this, not green anymore I, exactly i was very surprised by that because Maybe oh. new listeners might not realize that Jennifer Walters is one of my very favorite Marvel characters, and I loved the previous mm-hmm. She-Hulk book so very much. And this is so different because something happened to Jennifer Walters since I don't read Marvel regularly. I don't know what happened, but she was in a coma, and when she woke up, she wasn't green anymore. Very disappointing. Oh. <laughs> oh, that huh. was in Civil War Two. Oh, yeah. okay. Uh, okay. Carol Danvers, like, fucked up and did the thing that she wasn't supposed to do because, like, Carol. Ulysses hey, hey, hey. and um, got a bunch of people hurt, including Jen. Yeah, something. Team Tony. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, in this version of uh, She-Hulk, Jennifer Walters is no longer green, and she's dealing with the uh, trauma of that event, whatever it was. And Interesting. You know, that's the thing about She-Hulk and Jennifer Walters is she's always juggling her superhero identity with her real life. And now it's even more difficult because she's trying to get back into being a normal person. And she she is having a harder time controlling her She-Hulk, you know, persona. And I thought it was a pretty good book. But then the last couple pages, the artwork does this thing when she finally transforms back into the She-Hulk the artwork gets very different from the rest of the book. And it, it it's almost like anxiety-inducing, the way the panels are drawn, lots of little small little images piled up on, on top of each other. It really sort of mimicked the sort of anxiety that she was feeling. And it's enough to make me curious about the book, even though it's so different from the Jennifer Walters stuff I enjoyed so much in the past. So I'll keep going with it for the most part, I think. Hmm. I also read Rockstars number one, the new image book by Joe Harris and art with artwork by Megan Hutchison. And this is basically a book about classic rock stories, classic rock legends. You know, Paul is dead if you follow the Beatles or Pink Floyd legends or stories about Led Zeppelin. Stuff that I loved when I was a teenager because I went through a classic rock phase when I was like 12 or 13. 
Right. But the premise of the book is what if all those stories about black magic and satanic messages recorded backwards on records, what if that's all true? What if all that stuff actually happened? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's great. So the main character is this teenager who's obsessed with classic rock, and he's trying to use his own interest in black magic to solve these mysteries. Um, It it turns out to be sort of a standard murder mystery throughout the rest of the issue, but there's enough sort of interesting details, and the artwork's really nice, so I'd probably stick with it for a while. But um, the best book I read recently, and probably the best book I read all of 2016 was Rolling Blackouts, Dispatches from Turkey, Syria, and Iraq by Sarah Glidden. Um, Sarah Glidden um, does like journalistic type comics or very personal comics, and she's best known for her book, How to Understand Israel in 60 Days or Less. This new Hmm. book, Rolling Blackouts, is about her going with a group of independent journalists to talk to, um, what's we're looking for, refugees in Turkey and Syria. So people that displaced by the war in Iraq. And the book is basically a journalistic record of that trip. But what Sarah Glidden is documenting is watching her friends trying to figure out how to tell the story that they're researching. So the book is asked questions about the nature of journalism itself, the nature of objectivity in journalism, if that's even possible. How do you balance the truth of what you're story you're getting versus what's going to generate page clicks on the internet, you know, what's going to actually get you money and have someone buy the story to publish and asking big questions about the war in Iraq, you know, the ramifications of it, the justifications for it. It's a very heavy, heavy book and it feels very, very important right now because we're still dealing with all these same issues. So I think it's probably one of the best books I've read recently, and it's obviously something that needs to be read and um, taken seriously. Yeah, that sounds super heavy, man. I, I, I've never heard of that. I've never heard of Sarah Glidden before. That's, yeah. that's interesting. You said her other book was what was the title again? It's um, How to Understand Israel in Sixty Days or Less, and it, you know her artwork is very simple. There's a lot of sort of subtle watercolors and um, pastels and stuff that contrast the heaviness of the topic in a very interesting way. Um, yeah, and just the idea of a journalistic comic that's designed to be objective, even though it's someone retelling their story, and how do you balance that? Your personal experience with the objectivity that you're trying to, to capture. So, fantastic book, and I absolutely recommend it to anybody who's interested in not only uh, you know international conflict or international relations, but just the nature of comic books themselves and what the medium can do. Yeah, that's fantastic, dude. Yeah, wow. Okay, so now, I'm, again, here's another book I need to just put on my list on Goodreads yeah. and say, all right, Mike, you're going to get this sometime this year and read it. <laughs> uh, but for me, uh, I sat down, I read some, I'm, I'm so behind on comic books. The holidays totally wrecked me in terms of time to actually sit down and read. So I'm way behind on a lot of things. Um, I read Seven to Eternity, numbers three and four, and I love this book. I still love this book. But in the back of my head, there's a little person saying, please don't turn this into a character-driven story. Just give me a hundred issues of the Piper fighting wizards. And if you're not reading this book, that doesn't make a lot of sense. But honestly, there's so much going on in this book that could be really, really good and make it a hardcore, super cool sci-fi epic. And there are just moments where I see Rick Remender slipping into his favorite thing in the world, which is just doing character development and ignoring the world. Mm-hmm. And I'm really nervous, but I'm still reading this book. I'm 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 still championing it. I'm still ready to to do this. I I just want this Piper character to be everything in this book. I could just read a book about this Piper character. He's so cool. He's got a flute, and he's gonna kill you. <laughs> and that's magical to me. Um, I also read Goldie Vance number one, which is by Hope Larson uh, with art by Brittany Williams. And this is a cool little all ages detective story where it's just this girl who lives in this nice little resort and she's helping people solve mysteries, even though she's not supposed to. Um, I really enjoyed it. It was very lighthearted and it was a nice breather from the terrible X-Men comics that I happened to be reading because I also read some Uncanny X-Men and I was just like done with the night and I was like all right let's just try to clean things and so I read Goldie Vance and everything was better and it's in Comicsology <laughs> Unlimited and so now I've got the next couple of issues to read which is cool. I described that one as um, like all ages Veronica Mars. Yeah <laughs> that, no that's actually that's actually a very good way to put that because it it's it's hip I, I don't know that <laughs> in a weird way and it kind of it makes you smile and nothing's too serious even though there's a mystery afoot it was really nice um 
I also read U.S. Avengers number one, and I kind of, I kind of wonder why I did. Al Ewing <laughs> because, is why. Al Ewing. I, yeah. All right. So two things. I picked this up because Paco Medina is on art, and I have loved Paco Medina's art since he did the big long run with Daniel Way on Deadpool, which is by far the best Deadpool you can ever read. I don't care what anyone says. If you don't like Deadpool, this is actually a very good Deadpool story. It's sixty issues, and it's perfect. Um. And Al Ewing. And Al Ewing's on this book, and he's a fantastic human being. Mm -hmm. And his team books are usually good. Yeah, and so I picked this book up because there was a Michigan variant cover, and I'm obsessed with my home state. (laughs) So I grabbed this cover, and I was like, all right, I'll redeem the digital code. Oh, and I could go into a whole thing about digital codes, but that's another episode. And I redeemed the code, read it on Comixology, and at the end of the issue, all I could say was like, "What what the fuck is going on? Like what? What is even happening? Like what it was this is uber patriotic, like beyond belief. Like we're Americans, and America stands for America. Did you know the A in America stands for America? <laughs> and I, I don't know. Like it's, it's all about like Robert DeCosta, who is who owns AIM, but now they're called Avengers something. And I, I, like putting this together, it's like there are all these characters from different countries and they and it's talking about how they make up America and America's great because of our diversity and we allow people to come to our country and it's the most American thing you can ever do. And it's great. Like Michelle Obama gave a talk all about this. I don't want to give get too political or whatever, but uh, the other side of my brain was like, this is corporate America trying to subliminally push things into our brain and make us think that it's fine to be overly patriotic and blah, blah, blah. And I was just like... I was so confused by the issue because it felt like there was no point until there was like, oh, no, there's there's these unknown bad guys and they're trying to invade America. So we have to beat them for America. And I was like, is this is this where comic books are? Is that what comic books like? We're going back to like justice, whatever Superman used to say, something and something in the American way. And then truth, justice the end, in the American way. Thank you. Truth, justice in the American way. And then I was like, you know what? This is really weird because Al Ewing is British. <laughs> and not like that. Exactly. Yeah, like, if I, you told it, me yeah. Nick Spencer was writing this, I'd be like, mm, yeah. Sure. But Al Ewing... <laughs> yeah, so this this whole issue took me by surprise. I'm not going to continue with this series. Also, I, if you... I feel bad buy, buying the issue now. Like, I'm mad uh, that you bought a variant cover. because. And I bought a variant cover. <laughs> Did you see at Midtown literally two entire shelves of all these variant covers for this ridiculous I book? I literally walked in and was like, what the shit? And one of the employees <laughs> was like, yeah, I know. <laughs> it was it's it was wild to see it yeah. in the comic shop. I had to actually had to search pretty hard for Michigan, but So who is the it. who's on the cover for Michigan? Who's the Michigan Avenger? <laughs> the thing. Oh, that's awesome. I love the thing. At least there's that. I do too. And I was actually very happy. Um, I, I mean, the cover is, it's just weird that this book exists. It kind of, it kind of feels like that Champions book that came out, but Champions wasn't, it, at Champions, I felt like they were in the same kind of tone of storytelling. It's just like, there needs to be hope. There needs to be something that gives people a reason to hope. And maybe that's like Marvel responding to all the craziness that's happened in the United States, or whatever. But this was like way over the top totally bleh, made me sick th- to my stomach in yeah. a way. Do you think it, I mean, do you think it was satirical in a way? Because, I mean, Al Ewing, his stuff, last stuff he did for 2000 AD was pretty tongue-in-cheek. In fact, he did that, if, he did that story <laughs> Zombo in which mm-hmm. Donald Trump was president. So maybe he's, oh. it's been a long, maybe he's just playing the long game there. Maybe. Yeah. If he was, there wasn't a hint of, of, okay. of satire in it. It felt very true blue bleeding red white and blue kind of storytelling maybe i need to reread it and see if there's hints but yeah i I mean there was was a lot of strong messaging but yeah i didn't catch up or i didn't catch any anything either that felt like tongue-in-cheek and i'm also tired of this whole like play the long game it's common like this is the first issue you you need you need to tell us what this book is about right yeah and so, if you read if you read this issue, you it was about how these heroes work for America, and America's the best. That's that's what the end of the issue pretty much summed up. I mean, up. maybe because it's aim, and they're trying to rebrand themselves, but it's like, but you're still a bad group of mm-hmm. people, and I don't, well, I don't know. I'm trying so know. hard they, to justify this because <laughs> Al Ewing. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So I read that. 
whatever the one book that i really was excited for though i just had to i just had to tell somebody about that somebody needed that and i figured the entire internet's the best place for that (laughs) (laughs) i've been listening to a lot of last podcasts on the left so like my brain is in this whole like america's trying to the government's trying to control me i should put on my tinfoil hat oh my god i have Um, been listening to them nonstop, and now everything i relate to serial killers that's a problem yeah yeah but Here's a non-serial killer, non-U.S. government related thing. <laughs> a book that I read called One Week in the Library that actually came out a few weeks back. And it's a it's a 100-page comic. So it kind of was like an entire volume of a book or a collected edition of small seven small stories. And it's it, each issue follows a specific day in this library. But it's this magical library where everything and anything is documented from all across fiction and reality. And if it's written in a book, then it's truth. But things can contradict each other. And it's this whole paradoxical story about this guy who's trapped in this library. And he is the librarian. And it felt kind of like a weird fanographics book that had an image ending. And that's kind of, that's if, I don't know if you've read any Fantagraphics books, but it felt very <laughs> serious and kind of strange. But then the ending was very meta. Like, I should say, it wasn't kind of meta. It was it <laughs> was meta. It was Grant Morrison level Animal Man meta. Um, <laughs> to the point where the author even calls that out. And he uses it in such a brilliant way. Um, the ending kind of, I just smirked and went, you bastard. Like, that was really good the way that you did that. Um, so if you can find this book at your at your local comic shop, you should totally buy it. Go or go buy it online. It was a really pleasant seven eight dollar book that I sat down not knowing what I was getting into because the cover is very pretty and the interior art is pretty good, and it's written and done. Uh, it's written by W. Maxwell Prince with art by John Amore and I think Fraser Irving did the cover. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe he did something on the interiors. I'm not sure, but it was a really solid book, and I. I think we need to support books like this that are kind of out there. They have the guts to actually put out an entire volume at once and say, like, this is my book. And the fact that Image did it was what kind of put it on my radar because Image usually doesn't release a lot of sole single graphic novels. They push serialization like crazy. And this one turned out to be really, really good. So if you get a chance, One Week in the Library by W. Maxwell Prince. It's a very good read. Um, but, yeah, let's, let's, actually, let's move on to what's coming out this upcoming week. So I'm going to throw this back to you, Tia. What are you excited for this upcoming week? Well, um, I noticed that there's another Red Sonia coming out, another number one, and they're calling it number one of volume four. So, okay. Okay. I'm down. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, the Marguerite Bennett run was great. And, of course, the Gail Simone run is like, legendary so yeah uh, this new red sonia is going to be written by amy chu and um art that i don't like judging by its cover which <laughs> really yeah hopefully the interiors are not what the cover is anyway <laughs> let okay. the less said about that the better uh okay i will still check it out though because the concept is that red sonia has been transported to modern day new york what could possibly go wrong <laughs> everybody's in new york what is going on i mean hey that's comic book sorry i just yeah. so yeah i will check it out because that sounds like a crazy premise and like you know i'm down for amy chu writing red sonia uh, but if the art's not great i don't know as you said it's very yeah. important it is you know? yeah Cool. What about you, Paul? What are you excited for this week? Um, Well, I haven't mentioned Batman yet, uh, really, this episode, so I have to mention Batman. I'm excited for All-Star Batman number six. It wouldn't be an episode without me. You did a little bit in your mother panic. In passing. um, I actually read Batman last week, too. Oh, really? Uh, The main series, Batman? Because there was a Stephanie Hans cover. Oh, okay. Oh, I see. (laughs) Continue. Okay. Um, All-Star Batman, which is, of course, Scott Snyder's sort of, you know, take on Batman, where he's running wild, basically, uh, somewhat continuity-free. And um, this is the start of the second arc. I don't know if it's a new arc or just a standalone story, but it's him joined by the artist Jock uh, to do a Mr. Freeze story. And, of course, that is fitting because Jock's artwork on interiors sometimes just leaves me a little bit cold. You can insert the drum, but um, there. Uh, in post. Um, Sorry, I but, choked a little bit there. I know. <laughs> Wait, so but, are you uh, capable of reading a Mr. Freeze story without hearing Mr. Freeze talk in Arnold Schwarzenegger's voice? 
see that that that's not a problem for me as someone who is on record of actually enjoying the movie Batman and Robin. I actually prefer my Mister Freeze to sound like Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> so I'm I'm curious to see how this is going to be. I really liked the previous arc with Two Face and uh, the KG Beast, and seeing Scott Snyder sort of do these different takes on these iconic yeah. Rogues Gallery figures. So Mister Freeze is somebody I think. The the modern understanding of Mr. Freeze or the contemporary version of Mr. Freeze is so rooted in the animated series version of the character. I was kinda kinda of be cool to see Scott Snyder take it a different direction and just do a more traditional sort of supervillain type story with Mr. Freeze. So again, it's a Batman book. Scott Snyder's writing it. I'm excited for it. Would it be cool, Paul? It would be cool. It'd be um, cool. <laughs> put me on the spot. I was trying to think of something better, but <laughs> oh, this podcast is done. It, it would be cooler than cool. It's going to be ice cold. There we go. <laughs> oh my! All right, I appreciate that. Uh, well, I'm, I'm just going to take over now. My my pick <laughs> for this week is uh, God Country Number One by Donny Cates and Jeff Shaw. For those longtime listeners, I'm obsessed with this pair. They did Buzzkill. They did the Paybacks and Paybacks. The same series from two different publishers. I've been ranting and raving about these two for a while. And this is a new book from the two of them from Image. And I am crossing my fingers that this book survives and doesn't have to move publishers to finish the story. This is a weird book. Uh, An old widower rattled by dementia. He finds a super powerful sword after his house is wrecked by a tornado. And now he has to fight otherworldly creatures. Um... I don't even know what this is, but I don't care. It's These guys do a fantastic job with superhero <laughs> slash action-packed books. Jeff Shaw's art is... He's easily one of my favorite artists right now, and Donny Cates knows how to write a good action book that has some comedy in it, and that's exactly what I'm expecting. Lots of weird jokes and funny quirks and bad guys, or bad monsters, I should say. And I'm really excited to see Jeff Shaw take on monsters rather than just doing bad humans or bad humanoids is in the past he's all all the bad guys have just been other bad super villains and the one moment in paybacks where he drew the minotaur like the minotaur from you know the old greek stories and such it was fantastic like his art was top notch in those few pages where he did that so i'm really hoping we see more of that in this book um, this is from Image. It's God Country number one. Everyone should buy it. Please let this book survive, at least through the arc. <laughs> it's probably going to be a limited series. That's how these guys function. So don't don't feel bad about buying this book. It's going to be really good. <laughs> <laughs> so, That's so all Mike, I could say. So, Mike, if there's someone, theoretically, who doesn't know who these creators are, what book would you recommend I, I or I'm sorry, the person I'm theoretically speaking of, check out? Um, all their of their other books? I would highly highly suggest with the top marks recommend buzzkill it's a four issue miniseries that they did from dark horse the premise is what if you got your superpowers by by doing different drugs like if you smoked Mm. a cigarette you became super strong if you did heroin you had telekinetic powers Mm -hmm. that's the story what's the problem with that that like what's the (laughs) conflict the conflict is that this character, the character eventually becomes, or is named Buzzkill, um, he has to fight the supervillain that killed his dad. And because mm. this guy's trying to basically end his family line, if I'm remembering this correctly. So I haven't you, read this book in a while. Like, but. So you do a lot of heroin and fight bad guys to avenge your family. Yeah, but you also recognize that it's destroying your life and your familiar or your relationships with everyone around Okay, you. so all of the like <laughs> oh, okay. negative consequences of doing drugs still remain. Yes. Gotcha. Yes. <laughs> right. It's it's a very good story. Like okay. on the I remember this book came out, I didn't know what it was, and I saw that Mark Wade had recommended it on the cover and I was like, Okay, let's try this. The cover is beautiful <laughs> um for the first issue and the whole series is done has the same covers as the interior artist, so you know if you if you're into that kind of stuff, like this, it's beautiful <laughs> art. It's fantastic storytelling and it's hilarious. Like the jokes are totally on point and work really well in the story. I, these guys really know how to do comic books, and I I really pretty much anything Donny Cates writes at this point I pick up. And he's okay. he's a great writer. Cool. And he's a really nice guy from the handful of times that I met him. So sold. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. Yes, I got him. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Let me call my friend Donny Cates and tell him that I got it. I figured it out. <laughs> (laughs) 
for this week's episode we do have a topic but before we get into it i want to correct my terrible terrible description of buzzkill from dark horse um there there is no if i if i'm remembering this correctly there is no like father figure story this is about a superhero character who does drugs to get superpowers and he decides that he wants to get clean and all the supervillains are happy about it but they're supervillains and so he has to stop them. And that's like the thing. You do drugs, it affects up your life. You decide, I don't want to do drugs anymore. But then for some reason in this story, the bad guys want to want to kill you still. So anyways, I just wanted to get that now clean because I totally ruined it early. Yeah. They, they're, 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 just go read this book. It's fantastic. I promise <laughs> okay. you. If you don't like it, I'll refund you the money. It's that, it's, it's that good. This is the only anyways. podcast that comes with a money back guarantee for things that we don't even that's make. True. Yes, I am that I'm that in love with some of these comic books. And I think I've only had to refund somebody once. You at this have? Point. So Yeah, wow. I, I think it was a book that Nick read and he was like, I Mike, I didn't like that. And I was like, get out of <laughs> get out of town. But anyways, on to the show. For our episode this week, our topic is have you ever read a book and it made you cry or it made you feel such strong emotion that you were overwhelmed by the book. And I think, given our notes, we have very, very prolific notes for this episode. I think we've all felt that before. So, I mean, I want to talk with the both of you about what books actually did that. And then we can go into exploring, like, why we feel these things and, like, what it means to read a book and be overwhelmed with these, like, feelings that we may get. Um, as well as maybe explore the idea of, like, what it takes to write a book like that for, you know, all intents and purposes. So, I can start, but I don't know if either of you have like a really strong thing that you want to start with. So how do you, which, however we want to do this. Go ahead, Mike. Open okay. up. Sure. Talk about your feelings. Okay. Okay. I can place. do that. So <laughs> mm-hmm. I had been reading comics for a really long time um, before I ever had this kind of like overwhelming feeling. I had this feeling where I was reading Walking Dead and it, of all books, you know, I talk shit about Walking Dead, but Walking Dead really was a very important important part of my reading comic books for a very long time. It was a staple in my comic book reading. And so, and this is spoilers for, I don't know, sometime before 100, issue 100 of the comic book, um, where Carl is, they're running from the zombies, and at one point someone shoots a gun, and it hits Carl in the face. And in my head, I was like, you can't kill the most innocent, well, semi-innocent person <laughs> In this comic book, he cannot die. And I was just so blown away by the end of the issue where he was shot. And it turns out he lost his eye. And I, I remember just like tearing up and being like, no, 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 this isn't right. This is the worst thing that could ever happen. And it was it was too, too much. Like to the point I had to read the next issue. I needed some closure. If this character was going to die, I needed that. But at the end of the issue where that happens, I was just so distraught. Like of all the characters and of all the books that I've ever read... Like, this book got to me in a place that I didn't realize I had, like, strong feelings and connections for. Because in that book, when you think about it, like, Rick and Carl, those are the staples. Those are the people that the story is about. And the fact that they were going to just erase one character, I just could not get over it. And I know that a lot of people felt the same way later uh, with more spoilers um, when Glenn died. And for, for me, it was like, I was so overwhelmed with just, like... There was too much. I was desensitized at that point. It's like, okay, everyone's up for grabs. Who cares? But at the time, Carl and was like very much untouchable. And the fact that he got hurt and he almost died just just slayed me. And I've read other books since then where that happened. But like, boy, I think Walking Dead was definitely the first one. Um, so I don't know. And I think a lot of that stems in just like he was a child. And child death is never easy. And especially with a character where there was such a strong familial bond between father and son. It was like to see that and know what was going to happen to Rick and know it was like the feelings that they were all going to feel in that group was just too much for me. Mm-hmm. And I, ugh, I like, ugh, I just remember this vivid moment of, Oh my God in my head. Ugh. So <laughs> I, while I try not to cheer <laughs> up about it again, what are, you, what are you guys, how are you guys feeling about things? Let's start on that down note and move on to even further into the pits of sorrow. I'm really glad that you touched on this idea of closure with loss because I think that my earliest moments where I felt like real genuine sadness in uh, reading a comic was when you were denied that closure. Um, you know, I'm thinking of... For example, like in Brubaker's Winter Soldier, when 
Natasha's kidnapped and Bucky has to save her by basically like wiping his free will and reinstalling his like winter soldier programming. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. In order to save her. So it's kind of like he, it's it's almost w- like worse than being dead because you you have to live with the the loss and the grief in a way, you know, or like, and, and in that case, you're kind of almost inflicting it on someone else to save them. So there's kind mm-hmm. of just no, there's like no ha- good outcome there anywhere. Right. Um, it's kind of just this abject, sad reality that everyone has to live with. Um, you know, I, I talk a lot about Journey in a Mystery, also the Gill and Run, and Leah of Hell is just this incredibly tragic figure. I mean, of course, so is Kid Loki. And the two of them desperately need love and, um, you know, companionship and compassion in their lives. And they sort of tentatively have that that they give to each other. In, mm-hmm. But at the same time, the nature of their existence keeps them from being able to fully have that with each other or at all, especially Leah. And then, um, you know, there's a moment in the story when Leah like disappears because she's a handmaiden of, of hell and she gets kind of, you know, reinstated as uh, Hella's hand. Uh, she's literally like this embodiment of Hella's hand and um, so she sort of disappears and as she disappears, she kind of acknowledges to kid Loki that it was never like there, there was never any hope for them to have, a, you know, meaningful companionship. But then she comes back later and Loki has to deeply, deeply wound her in order to protect her. It's kind of like the same thing as, as Bucky and Nat in that winter soldier book. Um, I just I find that so much more tragic than an actual loss or an actual death where you you know you're sad and and you miss this person but there is some kind of closure as opposed to like you know having to almost hurt someone for their own good I mean that's just a terrible position to be in yeah that's it's 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 like a it's a lingering pain it's a it's a constant pain because you know that that person is still out there like you know that they they still exist and they you may potentially see them again and like that pain is going to exist i mean for the character and then you empathize with them so much that it just tears your heart out <laughs> which is just awful mm-hmm. you know huh. a couple of the the examples i could think of uh that came to mind one i remember very vividly like reading this and having that sort of to catch myself cuz i was caught off guard by feeling so emotional was of course, a Batman-related comic book, uh, sure. Batman and the Outsiders special uh, by Peter Tomasi and Adam Kubert. This is during the Batman R.A.P. It's like right after that when Batman, quote-unquote, dies uh, at the hands of Darkseid, falling mm-hmm. uh, at the end of Final Crisis. Um, but this issue is kind of about the Outsiders the team Batman had put together in the, you know, that was put together uh, by Batman's contingency plan. If he did disappear, Alfred would select these people and put this team together, blah, blah, blah. But in this particular special, it's Alfred dealing with the fact that Batman was dead. And there's a pre-recorded message that Bruce Wayne had left for Alfred for this scenario. And in it, it's Bruce Wayne basically saying that, uh, you know, he had suffered terribly as a young boy when his father was killed. But the older he got, he realized that all along he actually had two fathers not literally, but figuratively, and one of them was Alfred Pennyworth. And it was just a very, very emotional moment where it's like, yeah, the core of Batman, the core of the character is the relationship between Batman and Alfred. So it's less about the sadness of Batman being dead. It's more about the the acknowledgement of their relationship in a way and having it affect Alfred in a very profound way and affecting me in a very profound way. So Yeah. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's an incredibly powerful moment. I mean, it's, and it's not all about, sadness either i mean we we were talking right. about you know what book has made you cry i mean and it's a, it's a like a it's just an overwhelming feeling of a, of emotion where you're you're you realize that there was like so much more complexity to the story mm-hmm. that was just implied and we kind of took for granted and when you see something like that where bruce is writing this note to alfred like it just it hurts because it's like alfred probably 
you know, wondering, you know, all this time, did I do well by this by this child who I treated right. like my son? And Bruce was yeah, like, no, 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 I wasn't like your son. I was your son. And that, that's yeah. powerful. That's powerful. <laughs> yeah, it really was a powerful moment. And it just sort of a random spinoff issue. It's just amazing that, that that particular moment just really always stood out to me. So, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, um, I've, I've definitely had that where it's not sadness, but it just is overwhelming, like um, going back to Al Ewing and, and why he's <laughs> so great. Uh, the end of Agent of Asgard when kid or I guess teen Loki forgives himself is so powerful. I was reading it at work and I was like crying on my desk. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and one issue that for in my mind, I remember being very emotional. I read it and I couldn't explain why, which maybe speaks to this idea of that it's not so much sadness, it's just overwhelming emotion that you can't really even put into words that catches you. It's uh, Doom Patrol number 63, which is the last issue of Grant Morrison's Doom Patrol run, which I'm sure I'm on record on the show as saying is my favorite comic book of all time. Absolutely. Um, but this this particular issue is about the character Crazy Jane, and of course this might be kind of spoilery if you want to go into the series and not know the, how it ends. But the character Crazy Jane is a character who has 64 multiple personalities and each one has its own superpower. She's on the Doom Patrol and the Doom Patrol really is like a safe place for her. And that's, that's secretly what the Grant Morrison's take on the Doom Patrol is all about is that the Doom Patrol is a safe place where anyone can be uh, welcomed openly. So in the last issue, it's crazy Jane, her, her um, alter ego, whose name I'm blanking on, of course, right now, but she's seeing a psychiatrist and the psychiatrist is saying, you know, this woman is having these vivid hallucinations about fighting crime. She's talking about this robot man and all this made up stuff. I really want to help her out. And the character Crazy Jane sort of is convinced that the Doom Patrol is just a figment of her imagination. And she imagined the whole thing and she actually is, you know, mentally ill the story ends with her standing on a bridge ready to jump off because her world is devoid of all fun and emotion and color because it wasn't real, right? Mm-hmm. And she's going to jump off this bridge and all of a sudden Robot Man shows up. He's like, Jane, what are you doing? We need you. And they go back to Danny the Street, which is another Doom Patrol character. And it's like the Doom Patrol, even if it was a figment of her imagination, it saved her in a way. So even if the Doom Patrol is not real, it is real in her mind. And that I've read that series, you know, a handful of times, and that last issue always gets me, especially that last scene. Oh, and I couldn't couldn't even really put into words why. It's just so just uh, it's ineffable. You can't quite explain what what makes it so amazing. Well, yeah. I mean, I I relate to that a lot, and I think that's kind of the common thread here. Um, you know, just like to be really real for a second, I am dystemic, which basically means that I my baseline is is depressed and it has been for my entire life. And that's just who I am. And um, so when you're dystemic, things are just kind of blank, like neutral. They're just sort of mm-hmm. um, numb. And so uh, to have these moments of intense feeling they're really important and you seek them out because you don't have them as a regular part of your you know like emotional makeup and then at the same time it's really difficult to wrap your head around happiness you know it just is Mm. like almost incomprehensible but sadness you can kind of deal with like you sort of get it um, you know, and it, it's at least a feeling, you know? Mm-hmm. And so right. I think that when you r- read comics that have these like really powerfully poignant, sad, like emotionally intense moments, part of it is just like, yeah, you know, I, it's hard. It, the feelings are hard and you, you're acknowledging that and in a way it lets you like share the burden of how, what a struggle that is with this comic and by extension with whoever made it and whoever else is reading it. And it's, it, it's comforting in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah that, that brings up a really interesting point that the relationship between the reader and the creator, which I think is the key here. Um, actually the, the idea for this topic came from me seeing a documentary about Graham Morrison and he makes that very point 
um, he mentions that a lot of times at conventions, people will come up to him and say that the book We Three that he did with Frank Whiteley, the last scene of that book always makes them cry. And Morrison says, oh, yeah. well, the reason that makes the readers cry is because I was crying when I wrote it. And it really clicked for me. It's like, well, of course, the a comic book itself is just ink on paper or pixels on the screen, however you read them. But the you what you bring to the book is what makes it important to you. So that connection you feel with an author, I think, can really, really make a book more emotionally affecting, especially if it's a writer or a creator that you identify with and enjoy already. So you already have that connection with them. And the fandom that that grows around the books. You know, I've made mm-hmm. so many really important friends through, like, the Wiktiv fandom, for example. And, you know, it's just... it's a, it, It's hard for some people to have that sense of community or feeling like they belong or feeling like people understand their pain or their struggles. And um, if you can rally around this thing that, that so beautifully articulates or describes these complicated, uh, you know, sad or intense feelings that you kind of struggle to deal with that, I think it just, it really, um, clicks in your brain and mm-hmm. and you really kind of you almost like imprint on these things you know they just become such an important part of how you navigate feelings mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. even if it's something like you know intense sadness it's a it's a communal understanding that like i'm not the only person that felt this way and it even if it is just me i know that this writer must have at least felt a tinge of that you know mm-hmm. they they must have they, you don't i think it's impossible to write a book like any of these, you know, where something so powerful happens um, and not actually feel empathetic with the character, right? I think that crafting a story like this requires some sort of empathy in in the sense that you can't really describe it until you feel it. And mm-hmm. so it, even if it's just you and the author, you can at least say, you know, this author understands that feeling as well as I do. And that's something like that's very hard to find in some cases, you know, if you're feeling this intense sadness or this overwhelming feeling or this sense of closure of some sort, at least you know that the author is feeling that with you. And that's, that's a great feeling. Like whether it's sadness or excitement or happiness or whatever, at least you know that one other person is sharing that with you. And that's fantastic. (laughs) Yeah. And sometimes, you know, you have these feelings and you're not sure how to articulate them. So it's difficult to, to deal with them or for other people to deal with you. You know, because right. you you can't describe what what's happening or what's affecting you. And um, sometimes when you recognize your own feelings in a comic book or in any media, it's almost like it gives you a script for how to deal with it and how to navigate it and connect to mm-hmm. other people with that. And it's yeah. like when I was reading um, Witches, there's a scene where, where Sailor is yelling at her dad about, like how he can't help her with her depression and the way that she described it, I was just like, can I just print this out and show it to people when they try to help me when I like, and, and they're so well-meaning, but like, it's not helping. And this is what I'm trying to tell them. And this is just so beautifully explaining it. Yeah. I cried. I cried when I read that. I was on an airplane. I was on my way to Emerald city comic con and I was sitting on the airplane crying, and people are like, oh, my God, are you okay? And I'm like, Scott Snyder. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, just read this. You get, you'll understand. <laughs> yeah, that's, 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 it's, it's almost, it's, it's wonderful. Like, it, it goes to show, like, there is something to be said. I mean, it's, this is comic books, you know, you can say whatever you want about comic books, but this is, this is seriously powerful stuff. Um and it's yeah. it's great that this this type of work exists because it's not just all happy go lucky. We've got to save the day. It's 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 things trying to express serious serious emotion through story, which you don't always get out of mainstream comic books, right? Like you can you can find in any book indie book from you know a dozen different publishers that are telling very real stories that have very strong emotions. Like there was a there was a book that I uh, picked up on a whim when I was still living in Grand Rapids. It was like a 100, 1 in 150 print of this self-published comic about these two brothers dealing with the death of their father and it had took place in the city where I was living. This is a story about real people and it was a very serious comic book and it, it made me very sad but at the same time the closure that the characters get or the way that they they didn't really get closure so much as they realize that 
despite the weirdness and strangeness that they had with their family, they, they could at least come together. And that kind of, it's sad, but it's also not sad. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how to describe it, but it was, it was a great story. And you can get that all the time, but to see this from big two books or from your big 10 books, whatever you want to call mm-hmm. it, just goes to show that there is a, a lot of range in comic books, which very much have to appreciate. Um, and I hope everyone out there is appreciating this because this stuff is really good. You should all go read it and cry and feel great about it. And this uh, is why I hate it when people are like, it's just comics. And it's like, yeah, but also it's not just comics. Right. Yeah. There's a fine line to be drawn with that, I think, too. Yeah. And I think it also speaks to the fact that we say comics, but that's that is a huge you know catch-all term for this medium you know there's such a variety of different ways of telling a story and for me the the book that made me ball and shake uncontrollably and have a couple range of emotions was of course a love and rocket story by Jaime Hernandez and that's the artwork is so radically different from any other you know big two book or anything like that and it really come down to the structure of the story itself was actually what was affecting me even more so than the art or the actual events of the story. Mm-hmm. You know, his his story, The Love Bunglers, which is hands down my favorite Love and Rocket story, there's a moment in the book where the two main characters, Maggie and Ray, are remembering their pasts together. And the way Hernandez draws it, it's like one page is just single images of Maggie as a toddler, as a, you know, as a uh, young girl, as a teenager, as an adult, as she's growing up. And on the the facing page is the exact same thing with Ray, but you realize in every instance, they're looking at each other at those moments in time, and they're looking at each other across the physical page. And then you realize like, oh, I remember all these stories because I've read Love and Rockets. And it brought the past of the characters and your own past as a reader to these single moments. And then, of course, something ter- very terrible happens in the book, which I won't spoil. But I just remember thinking, this is more than just a sad moment. This is making me think about this story and these characters in a radically different way, purely based on the format of the, the presentation. It was amazing. That's fantastic. See, yeah. I, that, I bought that book because you told me that's the best one. So now I got to read it. I have it. It's sitting yeah. in my queue. Ugh. Okay. So many well, books. make sure you have some a hanky nearby too, because it's, <laughs> yeah. it's a tearjerker. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I've also I've also had kind of tearjerking moments reading books like Bitch Planet. There's a scene where um, one of the characters has gotten a hold of like all of these records of the prisoners, and she's looking through them, um, at trying to find her sister. And but it's it's sort of showing all of the reasons why women are incarcerated, and mm-hmm. you know, it's reasons like. I mean, this isn't how it's worded, but basically it's like they're too ugly or they wanted to have, you know, reproductive freedom or they were bad mothers or they were sassed a man or like had, you (laughs) know, uh, were reading banned books or something. And, you know, it's a it's a sci fi dystopian story, but it was just really real and um it's like a it's barely stretched from, from oh, reality right. you know <laughs> right. that's the thing that like rocks me about that book and i don't mean to focus too much on bitch planet but like reading that book I, I roll my eyes every single time something like that comes up not out of like oh this is bad writing but out of oh my gosh like this is only just like one degree past today no i know like, when you describe so that book to, to people they're like how is that not reality <laughs> yeah Or like, yeah, like um, there was the spotlight on Penny and it shows the end where they're trying to like, spoiler alert, I guess, this is like the third issue. So um, it's been out for a while, but um, they're trying to force her to acknowledge that like she's fat and ugly and unacceptable. And she's and so they keep like showing her this thing that's supposed to reflect her like ideal self to her back to her. And it just shows her as she is. And she like literally refuses (laughs) to like let their bullshit about like how she's supposed to to look affect her in any way. And um, it's it's powerful. You know, I think that that is is a reason why superheroes are so important you know like Mm -hmm. this isn't a superhero book obviously but when you think about like what would i do in that situation it's really emotional sometimes to see someone 
behave heroically in a situation that is not maybe too far off from one that you have personally faced or something that mirrors what you have personally faced and mm-hmm. and to have that example of someone behaving in a way that is heroic I think is really emotional well yeah I mean that's whenever I think of that I think of that iconic scene from all-star Superman you know by Graham Morrison there's that name again he writes very emotional comics that's okay but there's that scene where you have where, Grant where Morrison Super- <laughs> yeah, that's right. yeah, yeah. Um, but there's that scene where Superman's talking to Lois Lane and he just says stop wait Lois someone needs me and then you see him on a the top of the skyscraper and there's a young woman um, who is going to jump off the building because she feels so depressed and no one's there for her. She's going to commit suicide. And Superman just says, you know, you're much stronger than you think you are. So it's like Superman and he saves this woman's life, but by just being there physically for her and to yeah. be there emotionally for her, it's like, oh, it's not about Superman, you know, catching a uh, spacecraft that's going to crash or stopping an atomic explosion. It's about him being there and nice to someone who needs it. And yeah. that's how you can be heroic. Yeah, I mean, I'm tearing up right now thinking about it. So yeah, I mean, that's like the the panel and the, or the page that everyone turns to with that book. And it, for that specific reason, it is so powerful because it's not just Superman catching someone who who jumped. It's Superman mm-hmm. just showing up there and saying, "I'm here for you," and like, "I will give you a hug if you need it." Right. And it, anyone can do that. It's it's that's the thing that you can. You never think you could ever relate to Superman, but like that is the. <laughs> A perfect way to say like you don't have to be a man in a cape who flies around you just have to be a person there for another person that's unbelievably powerful yeah yeah, yeah that book I feel like that i've book seen batman moments. moments that like that too like where he is dealing with children who are like in a scary situation and just the way that he interacts with them it it's almost like it, you know he's affirming to them their own ability to be strong and to be heroic and yeah you know for people who might not get that kind of affirmation in their real lives it's really powerful to read about it that in that way and it's almost like confirming it for you Mm -hmm. yeah that's that's something that i've always really admired about the batman books whenever he's involved with any of his sidekicks especially especially now you know when you when you see Batman interact with uh, all the various Robins or now he's, you know, spoiler or Batgirl or whoever. He he constantly is, he's always pushing them saying like, you can do better, you can do better, you can do better. But he's always like, but I'm there for you if you ever need me. If you ever need mm-hmm. anything, I can be there for you. And it's not just to save your life or save the day. It's like, if you just need to chat for a minute, I can maybe do that. And it, it varies from writer to writer, but you get that every once in a while where he'll say to a Robin, he's like, I'm not here to like, train you to fight i'm here to make sure that you're okay as a person and he will like push and shove and scream but he'll he's he's not trying to make them fight he's trying to just say i want to make sure you're okay just (laughs) be okay and of course you know that gets manipulated a hundred times over but every once in a while we get a story where that works and that's i mean x-men they do the exact same thing a million times over where the x-men will show up and try to be there for each other and that's three quarters of those stories everyone just kind of hugging and being like you're my friend but uh, it's it's nice to get that to see like that is the as the norm, where the X, especially with the X Men, will they'll push and they'll say like, no matter what you're going through, like I'm here for you as a friend, as a as a as a person who is as far as I'm concerned part of your family. We are a family and we need to be here for each other. That's like the core message in a lot of X Men books, um, and that's always I, I don't know it's always resonated in me as a as a strong emotion. <laughs> Because we're that's what this episode is. This is everyone gets emotional. Everyone gets emotional. Yeah. This is why we love comic books. Because it's not all about <laughs> just fighting and screaming and, and drama. It's 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 making sure you're okay. <laughs> if you read prose fiction, everything has to be described in words, and there are some things that are really difficult to describe in words. And what's nice about a, the comic format is that um, you know sometimes the artwork can take the articulation of this emotion to a more uh, authentic feeling or or a clearer place than just words can do 
Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I was thinking about that too, the the difference between a comic and like a movie where, I mean, obviously you have very strong emotional reactions to, to movies, but there's a lot of tricks that the director has in his or her bag where they can do a montage or they can slow the action down. They could add the right music. The right piece of music can change the way a scene feels Definitely. radically. In a totally. comic book, you kind of just have ink and paper. You know, there's not much, can't really pull any punches. So really it depends on the pacing and the artwork itself. Totally. And comic books are great. I know, right? (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening to the I Read Comic Books podcast. This episode was produced by me, Mike Rappin, with editing by Xander Riggs. Special thanks this week to Tia Vasilio and Paul Jaisley. The music in this episode is brought to you by Infinity Shred. You can find Infinity Shred at infinityshred.com, as well as on Bandcamp at infinityshred.bandcamp.com. If you enjoy this show, tell someone about it. Rate us online. Write to us. Each person you tell about the show and each rating you give us lends a little more exposure to the show and helps us grow. It's also a great way for us to get feedback about the program we create each week for you. Or if you're just looking to say hi, you can email us at ircb at destroythesive.org. And if you want to talk comics with us, find the I Read Comic Books group on Goodreads. We have a monthly book club that we feature on the show, and we have a regular thread about what comics we've been reading. If you want your thoughts on the book you've been reading to be read on the show, make sure you join our group and comment. You can ask us questions and comment on each episode on our subreddit, ireadcomicbooks.reddit.com. The entire podcast team is on Twitter, and you can follow the show at IRCB Podcast. But a great way to experience the podcast, including our back-issue bin of episodes and our weekly pull-list posting, is to visit us at our website, ircb.us. Until next time, from all of us here at the podcast, thank you for listening. <laughs>